name it, a variety of things, Dave. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me for a live stream over here on RTD. But I want to start off by saying, how are you doing? Not doing too bad, all things considered. And uh, I appreciate you inviting me back on your show. Yeah, so well, I appreciate you taking time to join us. And so uh, as we give it a second, I want to make sure we have a couple more people tuning in. And then, of course, I have a gang of questions. But for those that are watching, feel free to ask questions and we'll try to get those answered and uh, go from there. And so let me make sure I'm everything's streaming smoothly. Uh, so I'm, I'm still waiting on myself. So I got a couple people in the chat here. So we're just going to plug right along. So, Dave, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I want to start off a little bit different. And so we, everyone knows the obvious. We see the, the health situation that's causing people to have to adjust their lifestyle. And then we're seeing the problems that's coming from the economy with all the policies and stuff like that. But outside of that, you know, what are some other things? Uh, are there is there any good news? Anything that has you excited or anything that has you somewhat able to make sense of all this craziness going on? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'm not I'm not usually known for finding silver linings in the cloud. <laughs> yeah, I'm generally built for cynicism and skepticism. Um, you know, I guess. Yeah, from the world that I operate in and the world that I look at and, and analyze, I guess if, you know, one of the end results of this entire situation crisis is that it exposed the fact that the banking system, the financial system, the, the financial system corruption was never addressed in 2008. I mean, 2008 could have been a, used as an opportunity to cleanse the system. And they didn't. They they basically put lipstick over it, and the, the legislation that was passed that was supposed to prevent massive buildups and bubbles and reckless investing in the financial system got worse. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hopefully, saner minds prevail this time around. I, again, I don't think they should be bailing out the banks. That the you know the they're printing money and giving it to the banks. And the, the legislation Congress is passing, other than the direct $1,200 checks to, to people who qualify from an income standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, everything else is loan-based. So it's like they're giving the bank's helicopter money and everyone else has to borrow more money yeah. <laughs> to try and, and get through to this. So um, ho hopefully this whole process will force a big change in our system. and. Um, force a cleansing of the system and, and maybe rebuild it and and um, fix fix the real problems this time around instead of letting them fester like they did or kicking them down the road like they did in 2008. Yeah, I actually, I want to share something with you uh, that I found to be very interesting when I came across this. And it's a uh, report from, I think it was yesterday, but it talks about the leading doctor. Dr. Fauci says the world may never return back to normal after this outbreak. And so he goes on to share his thoughts into that. And so, so do you think as a part of everything's going on now that we may perhaps have a new norm after all this stuff unwinds? And then what would, what might that new norm look like? If, if that is what you, if well, you think I, so. I'd be curious to know without how Fauci would define normal because yeah. if, I wouldn't say things were normal before coronavirus, you know, mm -hmm. popped the the massive bubble, you know, systemic mm -hmm. bubble. It, it, you know that what we're seeing in the markets 
was starting to happen anyway. And, and what we're seeing in the economy now, obviously, the, you know, the economy wasn't headed right off the cliff like it did once the coronavirus situation forced shutdown of everything. But it, it you know, from all the data that I look at, a lot of aspects of the economy have been in, in decline since 2018. Corporate earnings have been flat to down since 2014. So I, I, I'd like to I'd be, just be curious how he defines normal, because quite frankly, I'm not too impressed with him anyway. And, yeah. I, you know, to me, he has the, the, the rotten smell of deep state all over him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to say something like that is ridiculous. You know, he's a leader. You're, well, if you want to call him a leader, you're supposed to give people hope. You're supposed to lead and encourage, not not throw BS like that out there into the public. Yeah. And so I, I would agree as well. And I, I wasn't going to say anything about that, but I believe he's also a part of a, a greater plan of uh, he's on a vaccination camp, you know, vaccinating everybody and data, not data tracking, tracking everybody and all that, you know, stuff that, you know, I'm assuming it's you would probably also agree. So that statement there was designed to, you know, just so seeds into our mind as to what they want to do. And I've been looking a lot about, you know, 5G and all that stuff like that. And I'm not sure how, how comfortable you are in talking about stuff like that. But um, there is a greater plan. And the plan is this new normal, I would imagine, it will be less, it will be more restrictions on us, less freedom and all that things that usually come after events such as these. So I'm not surprised to see a statement like that myself. <laughs> I want to now transition. So um, unemployment. There is another little article here we'll put up here. I've got a couple articles. And as always, I'll take questions from the audience in a minute. But here's another article here that uh, you know plays right into what we're witnessing and experiencing. It says uh, one in four Americans have either lost their job or have pay cut from this shutdown, survey says. And this is as of today. Now, we were setting all-time highs weekly. Millions of people per week are filing for unemployment. Um, do you see this being a, how, how long do you see this unemployment record being set? Will it be the length of this health crisis or will this stimulus injection be able to, you know, help, you know, ease some of the pain from a financial standpoint for people rather? Well, I mean, again, it's, it depends on how you want to define unemployment. I mean, if yeah. you calculate unemployment the way the government calculated it in 1990, 1980, the real unemployment rate was much higher than the 3% that they were throwing in our face. So whatever they are saying is the unemployment number now, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't think, I don't think anyone is going to be able to really predict how long it's going to take to recover from this economically once things start back up and how bad it will get. Um, there's going to be, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of damage that's been done just by having millions of people not working for even a month. Let's just say we're out of work for a month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's uh, most households were up to their eyeballs in debt, and that's they're not making their debt payments right now. They're not getting paychecks in. They're doing what they can to put food on the table, and you know who who knows how how bad this is going to get, and it's not going to be fixed once. Trump says, okay, let's open things up. It's not going to be fixed right away. It's not going to be a V recovery. I mean, yeah. we're in, we're in a, a cycle of negative self-reinforcing feedback right now. And there's going to be a lot of small business. You know, first of all, the small businesses are the backbone, the economic backbone of the country. They employ the most people. 
And small businesses are, are one of the entities that I'm, to which I'm referencing that they have to borrow money to, you know, corporations are getting direct payments, you know, direct bailout money. So they're making small businesses borrow money. And you know, I, I played tennis the other day with a guy who owns a trucking company and it, this was Sunday and he, he was working that day because he was getting ready to shut his business down. He said the auto industry is, it is at zero, ground zero. And he's applying for, you know, one of the small business loan programs so that he can pay his employees, mm-hmm. you know, for, for at least a month or two. And if this extends beyond that, you know, th- those people are going to be without a paycheck. Yeah. So, you know, I, I saw an article yesterday that said, you know, there's potential that half of all small businesses closed down. That's your that's who employs people, the, the bulk of the people in this country. So we're going to have to just see what the fallout is from the small business sector. But, you know, the, the, the money that the Fed's printing isn't getting to Main Street. It's going to the banks and it's keeping the banks bailed out from their right. from their horrible, reckless derivatives and, and subprime type investments. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest concerns, I think, after the last financial crisis we had was that the banks were the primary, you know, they were too big to bail, too too big to fail. So the policy was set up to make sure that they were liquid. Now, do you see this uh, so-called small business loan that's funneled through the banking system as a way of making sure that they don't have issues first, the big banks? And because you said it's not reaching the small businesses. So is the ultimate fear still the banks themselves, the too big to fail banks? Uh, having issues, and do you think that's a part of the whole repo crisis that we were, you know, that started back in September, was a part of the? Oh, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely, you know, the the Fed the Fed saw what I was seeing in the economic numbers, and actually in in default rates and things like that, the Fed saw a banking problem coming back in September, maybe even before that, and that's it, it wasn't repo; it was basically money money printing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You so there? Yeah, I'm still here. Having a little, little, little chat. Okay. So there we go. Um, you know, it, it was it was money printing. I don't, you know, they can call it repo, they can call it QE. It was money printing, and they were giving it to the banks. And <laughs> what's even more shocking is that they also were are using that money to keep hedge funds from collapsing, you know, because a hedge fund collapse and a bank's on the hook for that. And and um they don't know how big the problem is, you know, on these, you know, whatever these banks have off balance sheet and the derivatives and the interrelationships. Uh, there was a there was a clearing member firm on the CME that that went bankrupt, that blew up. I think it was maybe three Fridays ago. Mm-hmm. And then we find out a week later that ABN Ambro s- s- took a two hundred million dollar loss because that clearing firm blew up. Now, who would have known that there was a connection there between ABN Ambro and this clearing firm on the CME? So, you know, that's that's the type of, you know, I think the Fed and the central banks can see smoke coming from the banking system. They don't know where the fires are. So they're just throwing as much money as they can at it right now. And I I don't think it'll work. Yeah, I think it's going to create um, massive inflation problems and currency devaluation problems. Uh, I do agree. Now, it's just a matter. Of, so we, I have a little a question here that I want to share with one of the, with you with, from one of the viewers. And it says here, uh, this is from Pabar, it says, ask Dave, at what point will a debt currency reset occur? We see all these central banks bailing out the corporations, printing money and people will with people with no work, but infinite debt and inflation. 
And so based upon the current activity of the central bank and their willingness to be overly accommodative to, 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 to make sure that there's no hiccups, will this speed up that reset or reboot or restructuring or whatever they're going to try to you know do to keep this thing from going under, in your opinion? I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, at some point, there's going to have to be some sort of reset. There's been a there's been a gradual reset of the monetary system, you know, for the last several years. I mean, Russia and China have been actively diversifying away from the dollar, not using the dollar in in, in trade. Um, I, I honestly, I have no way to know, you know, on what time frame that, that we're going to see a reset or what it'll look like. I just know it's going to be painful for everyone. And the way to to soften that pain is to make sure you own precious metals, physical gold and silver. Because I think I think gold will be reintroduced into the monetary system. I mean, it already is to some extent, to the extent that central banks, especially the Eastern Hemisphere central banks, have been buying physical gold hand over fist. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's led to some of the problems that we're reading about on the COMEX and the LBMA is, is those Eastern hemisphere central banks have been sucking physical gold out of the, out of the London gold, physical gold system. Mm -hmm. Now with that whole COMEX LBMA situation on sourcing bars, you know, hundred ounce bars or whatever from the 400 and they're not being enough weight actually out there. It looks like, or no one's willing to part with that. So they're going to settle with the, you know, just pay, paying out in cash, it, you know, can I continue to go on for a long period of time or could that actually break, break the, break the manipulation of them being able to rig the price steel or it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, as long as counterparties are willing to take paper for mm-hmm. settlement, whether it's an outright cash settlement of contracts, which occurs mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the, these exchange for physicals that they call them. I mean, my understanding is, well, those the most of these exchange for physicals have been moving the COMEX contract settlement liability over to the London market. My understanding is a lot of those EFPs have been, been paid off or being paid off with cash at very high premiums to the to the current price of gold. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to find the current price of gold. But um and then these these new 400 ounce accumulated certificates of exchange. That's just another paper product. If, if you're if you're long a COMEX contract and you're willing to take an ACE certificate for settlement, you have a derivative claim on gold that you don't even know whether it exists or not. I mean, yeah, they're telling you, oh, this 400 ounce bar is in J.P. Morgan's vault in London, but you don't own that gold. You, you don't. You have to have four certificates in order to in order to take delivery of one of those bars. And it's not clear what delivery means. I was I was doing some research on it last night and I happened to see, I think it was on the CME site, that if you actually wanted physical delivery of the bar, you needed to email they gave you an email address at the CME to inquire about that. So I'm not even certain that they've they've um, floated these certificates with the intent that the bars will ever be delivered. It's just another way to to fractionalize the bullion, the the, the gold bullion system. Yeah. Wow. 
Uh, so back to um, your average investor, your everyday saver. And so here's a here's an article here I'm going to pull up here that would, uh, I guess, draw a lot of question. It says, just this past week, the FDIC closes a small West Virginia bank, moves deposits to MVB, MVB Bank. And so this is the first bank that was uh, basically had, had issues because of this whole health pandemic as it was a cover up for it. But this is the first bank the FDIC has had to come in and bail out this year on a small on a small small note do you see situations like this uh, picking up as bank branches are closing their land off staff they have you know the mortgage issue and all the the retail shops and stuff like that that is going to be coming due now and it's going to be probably a, lar a large amount of delinquency that these banks will be taking on as uh issues do you see smaller banks like this shutting down at a rap more rapid pace by the two big to fail banks hold on to all that, you know, stimulus funds or whatever that bailout money they've received already? That's a great question. I haven't really thought about it, but I think it probably depends on the degree to which the government is willing to, to print money and, and give, give it to small banks to make up for the shortfall in, in, mortgage and credit card and auto loan payments that is, you know, invariably occurring right now. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I, I would assume that that will be the case that, you know, unless they declare a debt jubilee and let everyone off the hook on the debt, in which case we'll see the dollar fall very quickly and it'll look like Wiley e. Coyote going off the cliff. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. It's, it's definitely worth watching because I had not seen that a small that small West Virginia bank had, had uh, blown up and its assets were moved to, I guess, I'm assuming MVB is a, is a regional, a large regional bank or something. Yeah. And so um, the bank's 130. That's, that's something million. I'm going to have to put on my list because it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, so they had 139 million in deposits will be acquired by MVB Bank. So it's basically they just took on the balance sheet of the bank that went under and so i wonder what will be what was the triggering point of course we no one knows but one of my concerns is that we're going to see more events like that you know as as this thing unfolds. Yeah, I agree. still in the beginning of april and so it's uh yet to be determined how severe or how long this will last but there's a lot of people out there that do not believe in the fact that uh they're creditors to the banking sector commercial banks rather and as of March 26, I believe the FDI or the Federal Reserve um, uh, removed the need for uh, two big to fail banks, especially to have to require have certain requirements for reserves uh, for deposits for capital for deposits. And then they, they, they also remove banks that are less than 10 billion as well. So as of now, there's no requirements for the amount of capital needed to make depositors whole. Now, so with that movement there, is that a part of them trying to cover up some of their losses of as stuff unwinds or what do you think? Well, the, the reserve requirement taking it down to zero isn't really about the depositors per se. It's, it's about, it's about, you know, having to come up with, with collateral or, or cash to use as reserves against the asset base. So, mm -hmm. you know, let's just say bank ABC has, um, a big slug of mortgages on its balance sheet. And all of a sudden, a lot of those mortgages are non-performing. So the value of, of the, that, those assets, that, that mortgage asset is 
is declining and, and, and the bank would have to put up more reserves to, to maintain the, you know, the 10% reserve ratio or whatever it would be against mortgages. So um, it, that was basically the reserve ratio was a way to, to um, enable the banks to, to maintain more liquidity. No. And, and also, I guess it, to some degree, I think it was designed to stimulate lending. Now, I, that's the last thing the system needs right now is more lending and more debt. Um, but that's a good point about the fact that most people don't understand when, when you put money in a bank, the bank records that as a liability. So you're a creditor to the bank. And if you do get into a situation, if we do get into a situation, we saw it in, in the in the SNL crisis in in the you know the 1990 era when when a bunch of banks went bust and the the FDIC didn't have the money to cover it, and they they created the Resolution Trust Corp, which was a way to to um, liquidate the assets over time of these SNLs and eventually get all the depositors paid back. But it, it took a lot of time for people to get their money back. So certainly the the FDIC insurance fund isn't is just a fraction of the amount of of deposits at banks of banks that could potentially go belly up. So um, that, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. That's that's why I told people all along, you know, only keep enough money in the bank to make your monthly bills. No. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Now, I'm curious to get your thoughts on um, the inability of people to actually go online right now and acquire gold or silver the way that we have prior to this last 30-day, 60-day run, because all the majority of the big retail uh, bullion stores online now no longer have something in their inventory or not much variety. So they say 20 days, give or take, two, three, four, four weeks, whatever they spend out there. One of my concerns, and I had Andy Sheckman on, and I put out the question of, do you think at some point uh, the inventory will not be able to be sourced, depending on how you know how, how connected you are, and then if it if the if they are able to put more on the shelves, the premiums themselves will probably even have to be greater than what they are now, because I would imagine as a business you probably will not be able to source it as as easy moving forward. Therefore, you may not be willing to sell, perhaps, or you know, at some point you get to the point where you don't want to sell it in Federal Reserve notes. Do you think that's a possibility? Well, I mean, I think what we're seeing in the bullion market is Gresham's Law in action. Bad money chases out good. So, yeah. you know, people, you know, retail guys who buy from the mints saw a crisis coming and they rushed to buy as much gold and silver as they could while it was available. And I think, I don't, I don't know if the U.S. Mint is actually up and running right now. Um, that's probably something worth out. looking into. What's I, I, that? I think I heard that they were not. Okay, so you know you've got a you've got a supply bottleneck because you got the I think the Royal Canadian Mints shut down as well. So yeah. you've got both of those mints shut down, and, and you know I guess the way to gauge. <clears throat> What's going to happen with at least retail bullion demand is is we'll have to wait and see once once the the mints start operating again and and they can get a hold of gold and silver planks that they can use to mint into bullion products. 
So I think I read yesterday that there's maybe three refineries in Switzerland that are going to start operating on a limited basis. Yeah. And we'll just see, you know, to what extent that might help fix the supply problem that people want to lead us to believe is going on in the gold market. Or if, you know, those bars get, get snapped up as soon as they get produced and, and sucked away and disappear. <clears throat> Ooh, interesting. Either well, way, I think we're going to see much higher prices of gold and silver going forward. Yeah, I, I do agree. And so we're only four months into the year 2020. And this year has turned out to be something that I'd imagine most people didn't see coming. I knew 2020 was going to be special, but I didn't think it was going to be health crisis special to kind of cover up everything that's happening under the, under the, uh, under the surface. But as we get ready to draw back, uh, as always, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. Um, let's end on a more positive note. Um, let's talk about some things that uh, people, opportunities. And so once again, there's a crisis on the surface, but are there opportunities out there? And, and what are some things that your ordinary person can probably look for or educate themselves on, on how to take advantage of opportunities perhaps? I mean, when you say opportunities, I, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, investments, you know, I think right now, and we're, we're seeing it in the stock market still on days like today and yesterday and the day before where there's still a, a, an overriding prevailing <clears throat> amount of greed that is still in the markets. And you've, and you've got, you know, everyone's like, you know, Oh, this is this is the bottom. I'm afraid, I'm going to be afraid to miss the next move higher, and and they're piling money into the same overvalued stocks that were insanely overvalued before the market started cratering, and and just you know some of these stocks just because they're trading at thirty percent below where they were trading, you know, in in early February, it doesn't mean they're still not over, insanely overvalued. I mean, a lot of these stocks don't earn money, and they never will earn money. So. I mean, in my opinion, the opportunity is is looking for things that are fundamentally and intrinsically undervalued, you know, from a historical standpoint and based on the, the various factors that underlie what gives, you know, that stock or asset value. And, for, you know, for my money, gold and silver are just fundamentally, intrinsically, historically undervalued, especially when you measure their value relative to the global money supply. And it follows from there that the mining stocks are, are historically undervalued relative to the price of gold and silver, where the price of gold and silver, I think, is going to go. Just relative to the fundamental factors that drive the precious metal sector. So. I think there's an opportunity there. It's, it's, it's too early to look for, for distressed opportunities, you know, outside of the precious metals sector, because I think, I think we're, what we've seen in the markets, both the credit markets and the equity market is going to get a lot worse. Yeah, I, I do agree. And so Dave Kranzler, as always, it's great to connect with you um, here on RTD. And so for those that uh, may not know who you are, I want to put up your website here so they can find out where they can find you at investmentresearchdynamics.com. And uh, anything you want to leave us with uh, outside of what you just shared as to how people can also connect and what type of services you offer and things like that. I mean, I've got, you know, 
my mining stock journal and my short sellers journal and the mining stocks bi-weekly short seller journal is weekly and um you know there's the minimum time requirement is a month if you don't like it you can cancel after a month i don't care well i mean i care but i you know be sad that you had a reason to cancel but it, you know it's not like you get locked in for three months or six months yeah and um you, you know just in general i i, I think i think people should uh, work on not worrying about things that you can't control because there's no telling, you know, what direction what's happening now is going to careen off into next week. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, if you kind of just adjust your expectations and assume we're not going to see a V recovery, but there is going to be a bottom in a recovery and, and hopefully our, our financial and economic system, our political system, and, and everyone will be a little bit stronger for having gone through this and made it through to the other side. Yeah, well, I do agree as well. Dave Kranzler, once again, has been great. I appreciate everybody who's taking time out of their afternoon to join us and to chime in via chat. And there's a couple questions I didn't get to, but as always, hope to have you on in the near future um, and get your thoughts and analysis then. But other than that, everybody's been great hanging out. Uh, If you enjoyed this, give it a thumbs up, share this video, and we'll be back for some more live streams at a later time. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Mike.